Hello once again, friends, and welcome to episode 115 of Just the Zoo of Us. This week, I am joined by a relentlessly delightful entomologist who is here to talk about our friends of many legs, the myriapods. So we are talking millipedes, centipedes, and some teeny beanies that I had actually never heard of before called poropods. You're going to learn some stuff like what the difference is between these long guys, how they manage to scurry around without tripping over all of those feet, and what they're up to down there underneath the leaf litter. Some of them glow in the dark, some of them smell like cherries, some of them can eat entire birds, and every single one of them is an absolute treasure. Stick around afterwards for announcements, plugs, and a sneak peek at next week's episode. Without further ado, Just the Zoo of Us presents Myriapods with Dr. Derek Hennen. Everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford. I'm here with another episode of Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast. And this week, we have a friend. This is Dr. Derek Hennen. Say hi, Derek. Hi, thanks for having me, Ellen. Of course. Thank you so much for being on. I'm really hyped today to talk about probably, I would say, one of my favorite arthropods. They're arthropods, right? Well, objectively, one of the best animal groups. So yeah, they're arthropods. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I, like, I am so reluctant to ever call anything my favorite anything because it feels unfair, but it's like, mm. It's totally fair today. We can say that. <laughs> While they're in the spotlight today, I think it's fair for me to say this is one of my favorite arthropods. We're talking about myriapods today, but before we talk about myriapods, let's talk a little bit about you. Can you let our listeners know how you got into the work that you do with these really cool, many-legged friends. Sure. You know, I get that question a lot. Oh, how'd you get into such a, like, you know, people see it as like a random or uncommon group. And it really just came down to kind of random chance. So I, when I was an undergrad in college, uh, I had the opportunity to go to a weekend workshop that focused on myriapods, uh, mainly millipedes and centipedes. So I was like, okay, sure. It was like the only one that wasn't full yet. So I went down and learned about them and I just got really excited about them. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. I want to like learn more about these. And it just sort of snowballed from there. So I just kind of fell into it. And I had originally gone into college wanting to eventually go into marine biology, but uh, I'm from Ohio and the ocean is a bit far away. So eventually I just fell into, oh, there are bugs in my backyard and I can like go check them out whenever I want. So it, you know, at that point it was just kind of fate. I had to learn more about these multi-legged critters. <laughs> Are there any myriapods that don't live on land? I know this is like so early in the episode to already be getting into the actual questions, <laughs> but are there any that actually do live in the water? Sort of. There are some semi-amphibious ones that'll live like um, on sandy beaches and kind of like right up to the water's edge, but none of them are actually in the water. A good number can actually deal with being in the water though. Like recently I saw a video of a big um, scolopendromorph centipedes, so these large tropical centipedes just like swimming under the water in like a creek or something. So they can kind of, you know, they can disperse, I guess, but they're going to eventually need to come on land because they do need to breathe that good, good air. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Back to Derek. I have really fond memories of being a kid and like picking up millipedes that you find like on the ground, playing with them, letting them crawl all over you. Like just, I have really <laughs> fond memories of that. Is that something that factored into your sort of like baseline appreciation for millipedes <laughs> or was it strictly a later in life thing? Not at all. I mean, so often with entomology, you talk to people and they're like, oh, I was six years old and stuffing bugs in my pockets and my parents were yell at me. It's like, I was an inside kid. I just, I played a lot of Pokemon growing up. And so that was like the extent of how much I wanted to be outdoors. And then it was only later that, you know, I'd always kind of liked animals. Like I always enjoyed watching Discovery Channel or like uh, Kratz Creatures on PBS. And so I always kind of had that. But it wasn't really until I got to college that I got into more like being outside hiking and finding these bugs and plants or whatever else was around. So that was really later in life for me, which is sort of atypical from a lot of entomologists. Typically, if they've always been a bug kid, they love to shout about it. But, you know, there's a strong contingent of us that only fell into it later in life. I feel like for a lot of people, 
the interest in learning about the topic comes from already having a passion or an appreciation for the topic. But then for a lot of people, it's the other way around. It's like you might not really enjoy that thing until you learn more about it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like I have really through the course of like making this podcast and talking to people that have taught me a lot about bugs and snakes and like sharks, you know, like animals that I probably ordinarily would have felt a little in about, you know, now that I've learned mm-hmm. more about them. Now I'm like, yeah, I kind of do want to go out and look for bugs, you know? So yeah. it, there's just those two different ways of going about it. It's either like the passion inspires you to learn or the learning inspires the passion. Yeah. And there are just so many cool groups to learn about. Like, you know, I've recently started following, well, I guess for the past few years, I've been following this guy on Twitter, um, Christopher Ma, who t- tweets out a bunch of cool photos of like, anemones and other like sea creatures and invertebrates that I'd never really heard of before. Like I saw yesterday some beautiful photos of some deep sea amphipods or something. And, you know, you just, you're not there sitting in like elementary or high school and they're like, all right, children, we're going to learn about copepods today. So you have to like get that base first of just the general stuff that you'll see in your everyday life or like learn about in school. And then, you know, it can just be by chance you see some random cool photo of some creature on the internet you've never like seen before. Or even like if you just learn how to identify plants when you're walking around. I took some really good botany courses during undergrad. And now I'm always like looking at trees and whatever. Like now um, in the Eastern North America, fall is a great time to seek out spice bush, which have these just if you rip the leaves or even the fruits, which are this cool little berry. The smell is just like amazing. It's such a great fall smell. I don't know why it's not in like all these candles and stuff. People always talk about pumpkin spice, but you got to get on the spice bush train. It's so good. Um, we're going to have to go ahead and trademark that idea because that's going to be our next <laughs> round of exclusive merch is going to be yeah. Bush seasonal candles. <laughs> there we go. It's funny that you mentioned um, Christopher Ma. He came on into our Sea Star episode a while back. Oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah, cool. really lovely. Great episode. Great follow. Um, seeing all those really weird deep sea critters is very enlightening. Well, and it's like, you know, it's, it's kind of tough and expensive to get to the deep sea. So you got to like find these people who like already down there can connect you with that and kind of see what all there is to offer. There's just so many strange things when you're just down in the dark, I guess. And there's strange things up here on the land, including our friends for today, (laughs) myriapods. What is a myriapod, please? Yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of go over it, basically, we think of insects. Okay. They got six legs, arachnids, they've got eight legs, crustaceans have a little bit more. And then past that, when you get into like a dozen or more legs, that's kind of the sweet spot for the myriapods. And An so the name amount of legs. Yes. That name myriapod just literally translates to many legs. And so, you know, anything over like 10, you can think of as a myriapod. They're typically going to be living in forests, though some are adapted for like deserts and other habitats, but um, all terrestrial. They love to hang out just under the leaves, down in the soil. And mostly they are herbivores, so they're feeding on dead leaves and decaying plant matter, maybe some uh, lichens or algae, things like that. But one group of myriapods, the centipedes, are carnivores. So all of them are eating other things, usually other little bugs and things, but particularly with uh, these large tropical centipedes that can grow to a foot or so long, um, they can even eat vertebrates. So we have records of them eating, actually eating their way out of a snake after it was eaten, uh, which is just a cool paper I found a couple years ago that blew my mind. But they'll also like hang from caves when bats are flying out and try to like catch the bat. They are very respectable. So you gotta, you gotta, Centipede ate the snake back (laughs) yeah it was on some um, island in the mediterranean i forget which one right now but some researcher came across it i think it was like a viper that had eaten this maybe a juvenile centipede but the centipede wasn't entirely dead and so it just sort of like ate its way kind of like through the belly and outside of the snake and then like died there the researcher found it and kind of like separated them and kind of you know figured out later did some detective work it's like oh my it was still alive so that didn't really end well for either of them, but so it was pure know, they're formidable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm checking you with me. <laughs> that is like an anime protagonist level of resilience. It's like, oh, I, can't, I can survive being eaten by a snake. 
Yeah. So, you know, you got, you got to respect centipedes. I, I tend not to pick up any centipedes. Millipedes, I'll just pick up. It's like, but if I see a centipede, I just, you know, I respect your space. For sure. Yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned the sort of dynamic difference between millipedes and centipedes. <laughs> How can you know if you are looking at a creature that has so many legs? How do you know if you've got a millipede or a centipede on your hands? Yeah, so millipedes will have two pairs of legs on most of their segments, whereas centipedes will have one pair of legs on each of their segments. Centipedes, they typically also have the legs directly out the sides from their body, whereas with millipedes, typically they're more ventral, so they're tucked under the body itself. Millipedes in general are slow moving. Um, they tend to have a harder exoskeleton to them than the centipedes do. Centipedes are a little bit, I don't know, squishier, I guess I would describe them as. And they're typically like much faster as well. I feel like when I look at a millipede, I feel like I'm looking at a freight train. Yeah. That's what it sort of looks like to me. You know, like they're long, they're kind of tough, mm-hmm. like a tank, and then they're just kind of chugging along. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes compare them to a little tractors going through the undergrowth and working on like recycling. They're sort of the sanitarians of the undergrowth just trucking along and going through they get with all those legs that gives them a good amount of power to propel themselves and they'll either be walking through the leaf litter Um, they have an enlarged segment um, right behind the head that they can use to burrow or push their way through something and so you know i've held millipedes in my hand and try to like keep them in there but they're really good at just forcing their way and like wedging their way through your finger so you're constantly trying to make sure they're not getting away when you're trying to keep a hold of them oh they're trying to burrow through you yeah oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) now with with centipedes you wouldn't want to be holding one like you mentioned yeah like you know typically if they're just walking along and they like fall in your hand or if you can sort of get them on your hand they're not going to immediately bite you or anything but you know they can give you a little pinch I've actually never been bitten by a centipede that I know of, I guess. But the worst ones that we have here in eastern North America, uh, it might be like maybe a honeybee sting or something. But if you're in a more tropical region with those huge like foot long ones, those can be uh, medically significant. So you might need to, you know, especially if you have an allergic reaction to them or something, you might need medical attention. But typically here, they're not anything to worry about and they're not super aggressive. I've had people tell me before, like, oh, this I uncovered a centipede once and it came right at me. And I have I've never had that experience. Anytime I've ever gone looking for centipedes and found one and uncovered it under a rock or a log or something, they would just immediately run away from me. So I'm scrambling, like grab my vial and catch it before it can get away. You're way too big for them. So they're just going to like hightail it out of there. Sure. Yeah. They're literally like what? The size of your finger? Yeah. Like mostly they're an inch or less. So what we do on this podcast, if if this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, what we do is we review animals by rating them out of 10 in different categories. And the first one is effectiveness. So this is physical adaptations, things built into the animal's body to let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. So if this is a predatory animal, things that are letting it catch its prey and eat its prey, this is a prey animal, maybe this is something that is helping it defend itself Um, or not get eaten by predators, what would you give? I know we're talking about kind of a really big group here, so feel free to break this down. What would you give them out of 10 for effectiveness? Okay, so the best way that we can approach this is breaking them down to millipedes, centipedes, and then poropods off their one because they're fun. We'll get to them later. So let's start with millipedes. When it comes to effectiveness, you know, I had to think this through a little bit, and I landed on giving them 7 out of 10 because when it comes down to it, they try their best. And usually that's enough. That's pretty good, but sometimes not so much. And the main reason for that is they're often slow and they can also easily be overpowered. So even these ones that have good defenses, like a giant pill millipedes, they kind of look like a big ping pong ball. Um, They can be found in uh, Africa and Asia. And they just roll into that ball. They have that uh, very hard exoskeleton to protect themselves, but predators can overcome that. And so there's, I believe it's a mongoose. Um, There's a paper about how they overcome the defenses of the millipede and they will actually just find like a rock or a wall or something and they'll position themselves in front of it, grab the millipede and just throw it like between their legs against the rock to just smack it and crack it and then they can eat the millipede. And so it's like the millipede curls into a fetal position and then the mongoose is like, eh, whatever, I can deal with this and just like smacks it. So it's like, well, I mean, it's trying. So there's that. Yeah, um, but at that point, you just have to accept your fate, right? That's just yeah. like an acceptance of what's about to happen to you. Exactly. 
There's another group of millipedes called the uh, bristly millipedes. Um, it's the order called polyzenida. They're also sometimes called pincushion millipedes because they kind of do look like they have a bunch of just pins in them because they're covered in these defensive hairs. Uh, the millipedes themselves are maybe like half a centimeter long at most. They're pretty tiny um, and they don't have chemical defenses. So these hairs are what they rely on to sort of detach if there's like, say, an ant that comes and tries to eat it. When the ant tries to grab it, it'll get all these hairs all over the body. And these millipedes have kind of like a porcupine. They have a bunch of these hairs at the end of their body. So they'll kind of smack the ant with it. And the hairs are barbed. They kind of look like little grappling hooks. So they get caught on the ant's exoskeleton and the ant's own CD and stuff. So the ant lets the millipede go and it tries to groom itself to get rid of those hairs. But then the hairs, since they're like doubly barbed and like little grappling hooks there, they just catch on to other parts of the ant until eventually the ant's sort of curled up and just covered in these hairs and it can't do anything. And the millipede trundles away. But where this doesn't work is in Central and South America. There's an ant genus called Thaumatomyrmex. Anyone listening to this needs to Google the ant immediately because its mandibles look like pitchforks. They're very long and just so sharp and have all these like tines of a fork on it. And so they will grab the millipede and actually shave it with some modified uh, pads on their legs. Rid all those hairs so they don't have to deal with it. And then they just gobble them up. What kind of Game of Thrones arms race is playing out? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of gruesome. Like these, and these ants themselves are only like five millimeters long, and they're just like, no, I need to eat this millipede. So here's this just intense modification to do that. I guess if you're a tiny, tiny little ant, a millipede is like, that's a lot of food, right? That's like a yeah. feast if you can get it. So I guess they're scrumptious. Probably not a bad investment. <laughs> yeah. So not a trip to the barber shop those millipedes want. Um, and so, you know, that's. We're, we're kind of dunking on the millipedes right now for their <laughs> defenses not being very effective. But a lot of millipedes also have um, chemical defenses. So there's some that will even secrete hydrogen cyanide, a pretty potent poison. To us, you know, we're big enough, it doesn't really affect us. But if you find any of these pretty brightly colored millipedes, we have a ton of diversity of that particular group, family Zistodesmidae, here in eastern North America. And if you grab one of those, shake it up and smell it, it smells like cherries. They also have a chemical that smells like cherries along with the cyanide, which is super cool. And so if some smaller like vertebrate or like a bird or something were to try to eat it, they would either try to eat the thing and then throw up, or if they didn't throw up, they would just die. They've got enough hydrogen cyanide in their bodies to kill, I believe it's 18 pigeon-sized birds. Pretty formidable. So that protects them a lot. And they're really their main line of defense is to curl up and poop. Um, whenever I like find a millipede and it's like, oh, here you are. They're just like, nope. So you're like, oh, oh, it's kind of gross. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. So you just wash your hands later and it's OK. Some of those defenses, they work pretty well most of the time. But when they don't work, it can be pretty disastrous for them. Mm, yeah, because I guess if the chemical defenses have not succeeded at deterring the predator, you are already dead. So like you've already yeah. been eaten regardless of whether your predator is also dead or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so centipedes, I rate a little bit higher. I give them an 8 out of 10. And really, this is just a um very deep respect for the fact that when you're thinking about centipede morphology, they got their normal walking legs. That's all cool. When you get to the head, their actual like mouth parts are pretty dinky and not very formidable, but they've come up with a way to get around this and that way is to modify their first pair of legs so they have these big they're called forcipules these venom jaws and so these are actually a pair of modified legs that they really just bulked up and stuck a venom gland in there and so the teeth that they had they just weren't cutting it so they're like let's take this to the next level and you know that's something i can really respect these are effective predators you know they're just going after typically these smaller ones in the leaf litter they're going to eat like little springtails, worms, uh, small soft-bodied insects, sometimes larger insects. And then when they beef up the body a whole lot, you get the ones that are going after the vertebrates. And I I always like to hear about these invertebrates that can hold their own against the inside skeleton crew, just because so many biology courses and other nature type uh, programs and things we hear about the invertebrates are always relegated to, oh, they're part of the food chain for these larger, more charismatic organisms. But it's like, what's more charismatic than a centipede just going to town on a bird? I love it. I think it's so cool. They've been bullied 
by the Bone Squad long enough. And exactly. It's, it's time they fight back. Yeah, they're not going to take it anymore. They're sick of it. They've been here since the Devonian. No more. <laughs> it's the boneless uprising. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I see a centipede, they seem like they have a spookier vibe to them, you know, because they have like the big formidable jaws mm-hmm. and they look a little spikier, I guess. They do kind of look a little bit spikier. They they do have some little, you know, like spines and tubercles on their bodies. And so that might kind of help. They also are just very, they, they want themselves to appear very scary and aggressive. And so just the way they move and how quickly they move is really something that'll give you pause. Like if you've ever run into a house centipede, like they're just lightning fast. And they're horrifying looking too. They, they have are. the long, thin, wispy legs. Yeah. And I'll, I'll let you in on a secret here. The house centipedes you're used to in your house, that's a Mediterranean species that is kind of spread across the globe, and particularly here in North America, they're pretty common. Uh, In the tropics, there are some very large forms. I saw one in Vietnam that was probably about six or seven inches long, like just these bulked up centipedes with such long legs. And they were the color like neon purple. It was amazing. They move so fast, you blink and they're just gone. And again, just one of those, we're lucky they don't come after us. You know, they're going after these smaller things. Yeah, maybe we need to form an alianceance with them so yeah. we don't wind up on their bad side. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, usually the ones we're running into, they're smaller and they're just like, oh, I'm formidable. Leave me alone. And they're just kind of moving in that way that almost kind of snake-like. I ran into some yesterday that they just sort of almost like surf through the litter and be out of sight immediately. Mm-hmm. I feel like the descriptions that you've given me so far have translated in my mind to the centipede being the DPS build and the millipede (laughs) is more like the tank. Millipede is definitely the tank. Yep. (laughs) What about poropods? What's a poropod? I have to admit, I have no idea what that is. Yeah. Not many people know poropods. They're rarely covered just because worldwide, there are only about 800 species. And that sounds uh, like a lot. When you're as like deep into the invertebrates, it's like, oh, that's nothing. Only 800 species. Poropods, also myriapods. Typically, they've got about maybe like 10 to 12 pairs of legs on their body. And they're very soft. The biggest ones are only like maybe four millimeters or so long. And they're really um, just down in the leaf litter or under rocks and logs. They can't burrow because they're just so soft bodied. So they depend on just kind of weaving their way through the interstitial spaces. I I was reading about how they can go deeper into the soil by using the burrows of worms and like other critters that are down there. So that's kind of cool. You know, they're finding their own little subways and they're also feeding on like decaying plant matter and detritus, kind of whatever they can find. And so for them, for their effectiveness, I just got to give them five out of 10. Like some of them are fast, but they're just so small and they depend on like finding these interstitial spaces that they can't do much. Um, As for the defenses, they don't really have many. You know, if some centipede finds one of these things, they're just going to gobble right through them. So they can't really do much, but they're cool. Some of them look like little Twinkies. They've got these dorsal tan brown plates to them. And, you know, they're just like little potatoes or Twinkies or something just walking along. They're hard to find. They're hard to see, but they're really cool when you do see them. So I've been like getting more into those lately and developing a good respect for the poropods. Just a little invertebrate popcorn, a little snack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Scattered all over the place for the centipedes. <laughs> it's like when you're playing snake, chasing after the little, what do you even call those little, the little dots that you're supposed to be picking Pixels. up? Pixels. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're the little dots that you eat up when you're the snake and the snake is a centipede. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's either that or like Pac-Man just going through them all. They're just the little power pellets along the way yeah. that you pick up. <laughs> poor little things man (laughs) yeah they're they're you know they're trying they're trying out there they're doing their best hi there we're gonna take a super quick break to hear from a couple of our buddies on the maximum fun network when we return we're gonna talk ingenuity and aesthetics so stay tuned to dive even deeper into the world of myriapods we have wasted this world Our magic put a storm in the sky that has rendered the surface of our planet uninhabitable. But beneath the surface, well, that's another story entirely. In a city built leagues below the apocalypse, survivors of the storm forge paths through a strange new world. Some seek salvation for their homeland above. Others seek to chart the vast undersea expanse outside the city's walls. And others still seek what else? fortune and glory. 
Dive into the Ether Sea, the latest campaign from the Adventure Zone, every other Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Video games. Video games. Video games. You like them? Maybe you wish you had more time for them. Maybe you want to know the best ones to play. Maybe you want to know what happens to Mario when he dies. <laughs> In that case, you should check out Triple Click. It's a podcast about video games. A podcast about video games? But I don't have time for that. Sure you do. Once a week, Kickback as three video game experts give you everything from critical takes on the hottest new releases to scoops, interviews, and explanations about how video games work to fascinating and sometimes weird stories about the games we love. Triple Click is hosted by me, Kirk Hamilton. Me, Jason Schreier. And me, Maddie Myers. You can find Triple Click wherever you get your podcasts and listen at MaximumFun.org. Bye! The next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity. So this mm-hmm. is behavioral adaptation. So these are things that the animal is actually doing to solve problems it faces or to put itself at any sort of advantage it can find. What do you give these myriapod friends for ingenuity? I mean, myri- myriapods overall, we just got to give 10 out of 10 because they're so cool. They have various little behavioral things that each group will do. I um, am so excited to hear about what they do because I've only ever seen them just like crawling around and they didn't really appear to be doing anything in particular. <laughs> so I feel like this is a big moment for me. <laughs> yeah. So we'll break these down again by uh, their class. So millipedes, I got to give a 9 out of 10. You know, they're my favorite myriapods and they just deserve all the good that we can give to them. Um, and so I mentioned the chemical defenses earlier. And so these big cherry millipedes that we might be more used to, they're using that hydrogen cyanide and protecting themselves and just doing it super great. Um, those ones will also fluoresce under UV, which is really cool. And we don't really know why, but they can do it. There, there are even some that can bioluminesce. So sort of similar to fireflies, they'll make their own light. They're only about maybe like 10 or so species worldwide that can do that. Uh, most of them are out west in California. So in the Sierra Nevada mountains, they'll be making their own light. And this is sort of correlated with how toxic they are to predators. So since they're uh, nocturnal, they're active at night, they're trying to warn anything that's around trying to eat them. Hey, if I glow pretty um, intensely, then this can warn the predators to not eat. And, you know, I say intensely, it's not nearly as bright as like a firefly or some of these other bioluminescent organisms. You have to let your eyes adjust to it. But if you're like a little rodent scrounging around a leaf layer being like, oh, what's this thing? You're going to be able to see that pretty quickly. And so that's something I've never seen like in the wild before, but hopefully someday I'll be able to get out there and see those. So just that bioluminescence, you know, really taking them up the scale there. That is very cool. Um, They're not highly praised for this, but I think it's kind of cool that they're just eating leaf litter and decaying plant matter. They're out there just doing their job day after day and really taking care of things so that the forest just don't fill up with all these dead leaves. And, you know, they're not even asking for a thanks. They just know this is what we got to do. And I think they should be more highly praised for that. You know, they're the little recyclers in our forests that are going over these things and taking care of what we would rather not do. They're not making any enemies out there. Exactly. They're just your friendly little forest janitor. Yeah. I also, I really love to watch the way that they walk. It, it's one of the most hypnotic things in the world to me to watch a millipede yeah. walking. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of like wave. That wave action of the legs. Yeah. So we call that a metachronal gait. Metachronal so, gait. Yeah. Wow. And it's, it's interesting even how they control this because... So we refer to them as diplo segments because technically they're too few segments. Um, we can also just call them rings. Rings is fine. And so in the ventral part of these rings on the bottom of those, they have two ganglia in there. And so when they're wanting to move their legs, a signal from the brain is sent down through the body and is propagated by these ganglia. And so that's sending a signal out to the legs to, okay, this one move first and then this one move second. And so it's essentially a cascade signal telling each leg to move right after the other one. And that's helping them not like trip over all their legs. It's just cool to think about how, you know, even in each ring, they have two tiny brains helping them to walk and do their thing. It, it's it's cool. I love it. And it is so fun just to watch them walk, particularly uh, the species you've talked about before in your podcast, the American giant millipede, sometimes called the iron worm. And so when they're walking on your arm, You can even feel they've got a claw at the end of each of their legs. And so it's almost like little Velcro walking on you. 
And then you just see that wave pattern going up and down the body. It's just beautiful to watch. Oh, it seems to me like because I have a human brain that is like already sometimes struggling with coordinating four limbs, (laughs) it seems like having all of those limbs to have to control would be very stressful to me. But they just, they've got it. They've got it under control. They're just like, nah, whatever. No worries. While we're talking about their legs, and I know (laughs) we need to talk about the centipedes next, millipede means a thousand legs, right? Yeah. Most millipedes you run into the actual like leg number. If you go up and down the body and count them all, it's going to be closer to like 60 to 200 or so. Um, that's your typical range that you're getting. So they don't really get up to a thousand. The legiest millipede is a species um, out in California that lives down in the soil. And so it's only like an inch or so long, but they're just like the bodies themselves are so small. They pack so many legs on there and they only get to around the like 700 range. So they're still not quite there, but those millipedes are in a group of millipedes that add more legs during their life as they age. Most of our millipedes, they, you know, reach adulthood. They're not molting anymore. They're not adding more legs. But with this group called the Clobonatha, they can keep adding legs after they're adults. So maybe if one is out there and has lived long enough to go through enough molts to keep adding legs, maybe it's closer to that 1000 range. But We just haven't been able to find it yet. We need to make it happen. We need to find one and protect it and nurture it and love it long enough (laughs) to let it grow the fabled 1,000 legs. Give it some nice fungus, maybe some apple slices. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Little (laughs) as a treat. Yeah, just a little treat. (laughs) Okay, so what about centipedes? What is the ingenuity looking Mm -hmm. like for centipedes? Ingenuity, I got to give them 10 out of 10. Just the audacity to change one of your leg pairs into this big, formidable pair of venom jaws. I got to respect it. Like, I just can't get over that because I've been dissecting a lot of centipedes lately. Their mouths are so tiny. Like, you know, it's like nothing. They're just like, like they can sort of take, you know, a grain of rice or something. So they really need those jaws to be able to like catch anything and be formidable at all. Like, you know, they've got some extra appendages to help them, like, move the um, actual food into their mouth. But it almost looks like a little zipper when you get up close to it. The mandibles are not formidable at all. They're just tiny little, oh, we'll kind of help move stuff around. So they're really just relying on those venom jaws and doing it pretty well. I mean, they don't typically bite humans, but so many people I meet... If they will give me anything, they'll be like, well, I I like millipedes. I think those are cute, but I hate centipedes. And so, you know, people just disliking or being scared of this little group of bugs that can't really harm you at all. It's a big front. They want you to think they're scarier than they are. And, you know, we talked about those ones that can eat vertebrates, the one that ate its way out of a snake. That's a cool ecological niche that they're filling there. There's even one genus of centipedes. I believe they live in, it's either Eastern or Southern Africa. I'm not super familiar with it, but the genus is called Olypes. And often with centipedes, their final leg pair at the end of their body can be modified. And so with this particular genus, theirs are modified. They almost look like feathers or leaves, and they can actually rub those together to do stridulation and make noise. So it's sort of similar to how like katydids or crickets are singing. And these centipedes can rub them together and they make, it's not quite a song noise, but it is sort of like, so kind of like this windy noise. I think there are some YouTube videos of it you might be able to find. And they're just gorgeous. They're pretty large centipedes and they can do this. It'd be super cool to see one of these in person. What about poropods? What are they doing? Yeah, poropods are... Little guys struggling in the background (laughs) yeah they're still kind of bringing up the rear here i can only give them seven out of ten it's sort of more based on their um physical appearance because with a lot of myriapods we don't know a ton about their behavior particularly if they're these smaller species and you know poropods are going to be the smallest myriapods you can get and so the things that we know about their life are mostly limited to like their taxonomy and a little bit of their ecology but we don't know so much how they're interacting with like each other and if they're doing any like particularly cool type of behavioral things but they do have a lot of interesting kind of structures on their bodies and so typically you need to slide mount a poropod to see much of them and they'll have these just really interesting their antennae are bioramus so they have two branches on them so they they just they look sort of silly when they've got them 
but like deer antlers almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a good comparison there. They have something called a globulus on their antennae, which looks like almost like a magician's scepter or something. It's like a shaft with this sphere at the top of it. And I don't think we know super well what it does. It's probably used for um, tasting. Um, it's definitely like sensory in some sort, but it can take this variety of shapes. The actual CD that they have, they can be just straight up like thin hairs kind of, you know, looking something like ours, or they can be like wafer-like or just have all these extra like appendages on them. They're, they're just really neat looking um, when you can finally, number one, collect them, number two, slide mount them, and then get them under a microscope good enough to see all these different structures. But they're really cool. I've been just looking at papers this week just to see what like the various types look like. Um, those ones that I compared to Twinkies earlier, it's a family called the Uriporopodidae, and they just all have these nice tan plates on them. And they have these almost like um, if you zoom in close onto shark skin and they have these denticles on them, they look like that. They have all these like sharp, almost teeth like things on the top. So they're pretty rough. It's like, you know, if you wanted to grate some cheese on their backs, you probably could. And so they, they just look really cool. You know, the underside is very soft and squishy, but the top side, it'd be closer to like leather or something with some little teeth on it. So I could see it, you know, giving them a little bit of protection. And, you know, maybe it could also kind of help them like wedge themselves through different uh, soil particles or tunnels. If something is hard to get through, they just can kind of like use those to hook onto the soil and kind of push themselves forward. That's total conjecture, but I could totally see it happening. Yeah. Throw a couple spikes on there. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just, <laughs> just play in the space. <laughs> yeah. It's like when you're playing Spore and you're just like adding features at random. <laughs> just like, I don't know. This is going to do something. Let's, let's see what sticks. <laughs> Before we move on out of ingenuity, I did want to ask you about something that I find really charming about centipedes. Mm-hmm. That is, I think people overlook a lot when they're trying to um, formulate their opinion about centipedes is that they're good moms. <laughs> yeah. I don't think yeah. people talk enough about parental care in no. in the myriapods because it's quite magical. Mm-hmm. I actually have a, a photograph on my living room wall of a, a big red centipede with her babies. And so particularly with the um, it's an order called the Scolopendromorpha, these large, sometimes they're called bark centipedes or tropical centipedes, even though they're worldwide. And also the Geophilomorpha, which are the soil centipedes. They're very thin, they have a bunch of legs. They're not often very large, but they're definitely in like the soil wherever you go out into the woods or something. And so the mother will lay the eggs and hang around with them and she'll kind of clean them of any fungus or any dirt that gets on them, make sure they're okay. Then they'll hatch and the babies look like miniature, pale, white, translucent adults. And so the mother will curl around those babies and the eggs and kind of, you know, keep them safe so that they can molt in a protected place. Nothing else is going to come and eat them and really take care of them in a little nest until they're ready to, you know, strike out on their own and go get a job or whatever adult centipedes do. And so, you know, they spend a lot of their time and energy on protecting these things. And I come across it. Every so often, um, particularly the soil centipedes, they'll sometimes just brood their eggs um, within a log. So I'll be like breaking open a log looking for millipedes or centipedes. And just I see all these little spaghetti looking noodles. And it's like, oh, there's a mom and her babies. That's so nice. And so I just try to carefully put the uh, wood back on top of them, give them their privacy and make sure they're still protected. And yeah, you know, this subsocial parental behavior, it's not often seen with um, particularly mirror pods, but. I wouldn't say all invertebrates because there's so many of them. But, you know, you think of the insects and we have like social bees and things like that. Um, and so it's, it's nice when you run into other groups that are trying to help their babies to survive in a tough world. I know it's a big energy investment. So it's yeah. interesting to see that like some animals make that investment and some are like, eh, that's fine. I'll just make more if this doesn't work out for you. You know, like, yeah, I can live another day. <laughs> Right. It's like the important thing is that I'm still around to make more. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I see like especially pictures of this, it to me looks very tender of a mother centipede curled around embracing her little baby noodles. And (laughs) to me, it makes me think of like this trope that you see in a lot of like sci-fi and fantasy stories of like usually the protagonist will be fighting some sort of terrifying, scary monster. And they're like Mm -hmm. fighting through the lair of this monster. And then eventually they get to like the monster's den and they realize that it all along it was 
was just a mother protecting her baby or something like that. Like, I feel like that's a story you see a lot in like sci-fi where it's like, oh, the mother was just protecting her baby all along. And that's what that makes me think of. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's also just a fun juxtaposition where, you know, people's perceptions, particularly with centipedes are, oh, they're scary. I don't like them. They're, they'll try to bite me or something. It's like, no, you know, they can be helpful and tender and we get to see them in a different light and we don't always have to malalign them and, you know, think of them as dangerous or violent or anything. They're, they probably think we're really scary, too. Oh, yeah. We're these huge, like, lanky monsters just kind of coming up on them. And they're like, God, can you, like, not? <laughs> well, that's a good opportunity to talk about our last category for these animals. Uh, aesthetics. Yeah. Arbitrary, biased opinion. <laughs> what do you give these creatures out of 10 for aesthetics? All right, so we'll 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 land on millipedes first. It's got to be a ten out of ten. An incredible animal. I love millipedes uh, so much. Yes, and they have you know a lot of people sort of they have in their mind something like the American giant millipede, which are you know these big cylindrical things, or they might have greenhouse millipedes that get into their house sometimes, and they're kind of flat and brown and kind of stinky. So they're like, oh, whatever. What's cool about these things? But they have a really cool variety of body forms, like. We talked about the bristly millipedes. Just imagine a pincushion with legs. That's a bristly millipede. These cherry millipedes come in just a rainbow of collars. Like, literally, they just span the rainbow. I, I've seen orange and yellow and red and blue and purple and green millipedes. Like, they're just gorgeous. They have that beautiful cherry smell. Um, I was visiting my in-laws last weekend, and I found a bunch of millipedes. And I brought them back and had my father-in-law sniff a series of millipedes so he could get a real idea of just the atmosphere that they produce they're you know it's like i don't know you go to a wine tasting and people always sniff the wine and like oh tones of oak tannins or whatever it's like yeah sure it's like no no we get actual aroma of cherries with these there's one that smells like i compare it to like chapstick or vix vapor rub and they use these it's a different mix of chemicals and they use that to deter ants from like feeding on them as companion merch to our spice bush candle, there's going to also be the seasonal cherry scented millipede. Yeah, uh, candle. There we go. <laughs> We're going to come out with a whole line. <laughs> we can also come out with a line of like, oh, candles to give your enemies. This one smells <laughs> like gross chapstick that's been through a blender of detritus. <laughs> <laughs> this one smells like, what did you say, the, the uh, hydrogen cyanide? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just straight up cyanide. This is poison. <laughs> Yeah, and so there's a huge variety of smells with millipedes. Sometimes I'll be like looking for millipedes and I'll turn over some leaves. And before I even see the millipede, I can smell it. It's like, oh, there it is. And so you like immediately can recognize it just from that. There's this tiny little millipede that only occurs in like, I think it's only known from three states, Virginia, West Virginia, and maybe North Carolina. And so it's a genus called Biotis. I doubt anyone listening to this will ever have heard of it before, but it's this cool little millipede that's only really out in like the winter and early spring. And it's just small and white. It's kind of bumpy. But when you put this thing under a scanning electron microscope to really see like super close up on the exoskeleton, they have these modified hairs jutting out of their body. And some of them, they look like little ghost hands just like reaching up. Like it's almost creepy. I tweeted out a photo one time and people were not okay with it. <laughs> And we don't know what these CD do or anything. If they're really like, like, why are they flat? Why do they look like a little baby doll hand coming to like grab me from my nightmares or something? It's just so cool. Like there are all these interesting little like body modifications on these things, not only at the macro level that you can see with your eye, but when you really start getting down and like seeing all the various accoutrements that they have on their bodies. And, you know, it's just, they have that wow factor. They have it. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's so cool to see. When, when you're looking for millipedes, you're just swiping away a lot of leaf litter, you're turning over rocks and logs, and you're seeing a lot of sort of like brown dirt and dead leaves and things. But you'll turn over a log sometime and see this just bright black and yellow and red millipede. And it just like fills your heart with glee. You're like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And particularly this time of year for us, uh, it's entering into the fall right now. And this is primo millipede time where, you know, you're out, you've got a little jacket on with extra pockets to hold all your collecting vials. You know, you got your pumpkin spice latte, all the leaves are turning and falling. And you got just these other brilliant millipedes walk around just waiting for you to find them. Like it's gorgeous. It's, it's not a fall if I can't get out and really look around for millipedes. 
<laughs> that does sound like just an entire vibe. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. The spice bush is out now. This is when you can get the berries. You know, if I'm handling a lot of millipedes and, you know, they'll poop on you. Some of the chemical defenses aren't smelling very nice. So I'll kind of like look out for a spice bush berry, crush it in my hand and kind of rub it around just to get me some uh, better smells. So that when I'm like reaching around, it's like, oh, how nice. It's so aromatic. What about centipedes for aesthetics? I am curious to know your feelings towards how nice a centipede is to look at. Yeah, you know, I've got to be honest, I rate them a little bit lower. They're getting a 7 out of a 10. Because, you know, they again, they're trying their best, and that's all we can ask of them. Um, There are some, like, cool forms in the tropics, particularly with these, like, neon-collared scutidromorphs or bright red tropical centipedes and some of the ones we have around here. You've got the soil centipedes that are kind of thin, and, you know, they're interesting for that. Yesterday, I found some that were this nice, deep scarlet red color and maybe about only an inch long, but, like, three or four millimeters wide, so pretty darn thin. But, you know, typically a centipede looks like a centipede. To really appreciate them, you've got to get them under a microscope and look at some of their leg modifications. But, you know, typically they're going to be flat and kind of brown, maybe a little bit purple. Some of them fade to like a purplish blue when they're preserved in alcohol, which is kind of fun. But, you know, they're they're not so flashy as the millipedes when it comes to collars and body forms. So we just have to recognize that. I think I've seen pictures of centipedes that have really kind of leaned a little bit more into the goth range of the aesthetic where like they kind of have that like black with these like bright red sort of accents, you know, and I feel like, all right, you're really kind of getting into the spooky factor, like just like, okay, I get it. I look kind of scary. I'm just going to really lean into that. Yeah, they are ready for spooky season. <laughs> and, you know, we, we do have a species um, up here where I am in Virginia. Um, in some places, we have the Kentucky blue centipede, which is this sort of like straw, tiny yellow collar with blue highlights. Down closer to you, you've got the uh, Florida blue. I think it's typically called the Florida blue centipede or Florida green centipede. The scientific name means uh, it's viridis, which means green. And it looks sort of similar, but it's a little greener. It's a little larger. So that's kind of cool to find as well. So they do have some variation, but not quite the like flashiness of millipedes because millipedes, they're trying to make themselves more known to predators because they want to show, oh, I'm toxic. Don't eat me. I'm flashy. So leave me alone. They got that good aposematism going on. While you were talking, I looked up a picture of the Florida blue or green centipede. I'm seeing it mm-hmm. listed both ways. I can't say it's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, that's that's what we got to admit here. It's a little cha- it's a little challenging to look at, especially like the segmented <laughs> antenna. The antenna are not like the sort of smooth, like streamlined antenna that I think a lot of other creatures have. This is kind of more like yeah, a, almost like a chunky rope. It looks like beaded almost. Well, we'll also throw in real quick the uh, the other group of myriapods we haven't talked much about, the uh, Symphylans, which are sometimes called the garden centipedes. So if you look those up, they do have antennae that are beaded. So they do kind of look like almost a string of pearls, which is pretty cool. But other than that, they're just kind of like all white and linear. They kind of look like a tinier centipede. They breathe out through air holes in their head, actually, which is kind of cool. Typically with myriapods, they're breathing out like the sides of their body if they even have spiracles. Uh, their spiracles look real weird. Like they're sort of just holes in the side of the body, but they've got like little essentially filters within them to keep pieces of dirt out or even like nematodes will sometimes attack arthropods and try to get inside the body through the spiracle. So it's like, you know, if some awful hookworm was trying to get in through your nose. Oh, no. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we want to keep <sighs> that out at, at all costs. Yeah. Let's talk poropod. Yeah, I rate them slightly higher than centipedes. I give them an 8 out of 10 just because most poropods are kind of like chunky and cute. They kind of look like they're the teddy bears of the myriapod world. And so when you look like a little like dirt twinkie, it's hard not to like them. They they still don't look like much, but they're just kind of cute when you see them like under a scope or just a photo because they're just like walking around. They got their little doot doot antennae just kind of smelling around them. <laughs> I just pulled up a picture on Wikipedia. A Yuriporopoded. Yeah. It's really cute. It looks it's like a roly cute. poly. Yeah. And they've got like, it almost even almost looks like little like pieces of deli meat on top of them in some photos. Just this like deep orange collar. It's like, what are you guys doing? I see. I definitely see it. 
Some of them, they mm-hmm. definitely look like roly polies, which I will admit that until like a, a while back, we did an actual episode on roly polies where I learned mm-hmm. that they were isopods. And prior to that, I thought they were little millipedes. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, who who would imagine it's just some like terrestrial crustacean? Like those are supposed to be in the water. Yeah. Like, you don't go here. Yeah. And if you do a search for a pill millipede, they look like isopods. And so like... Whenever I'm in an area where I know that pill millipedes occur, we have some in North America, they're typically pretty small. Um, other places in the world, they get bigger. But whenever I'm in a place where I know I might be able to find some of those, like anytime I see a roly poly, I'm always doing a double check, like, oh, where, what do you look like? Do you, what are your antennae? Like, you just have to look at the antennae and the back of the body. It's like, okay, it's either a millipede or a roly poly. Or you could do what I do and call them all roly polies and just <laughs> cross your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> and not post pictures anywhere on the internet so that nobody can tell you if you're wrong. <laughs> that's the easiest way to find out. You just, you know, confidently say, hey, look, this roly-poly. It's like, that's not roly-poly. It's like, cool, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the best way to get any species identification is to just, like, post on the internet and say that you know for sure what it is. Because it really it's not, is. you will immediately find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at pictures of poropods and they're actually they're actually super adorable. They remind me they're, of that scene from The Lion King where they're eating all the grubs. Yeah, I can see that. Juicy little bug critters. That's what they kind of look like. They look yeah. like they look like a forbidden snack. They really do. <laughs> don't they? They're not even really forbidden. Like they can't hurt you. They don't have chemical defenses. They just, you know, they're 2 millimeters long so you probably just want to taste it. You need like a whole cup of them to really start to get anything. It's like rice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some sushi with poropods. No, no. <laughs> no, definitely not. Oh my gosh. I will say that millipedes, I know that you said that millipedes are typically the most charismatic uh, or the mm-hmm. most well-liked by people. I do love me a millipede. I feel like millipedes take like what a lot of people are intimidated about, like by arthropods in general, and they just like make them lovable, like rounded and sort of, it's the round features. They even have like, have a cute face, like the face is cute. And they have the the legs that do the, like the, the very soothing undulation. They've sort of taken all the like, hard corners and like sharp objects and just kind of like smoothed them all out and so you know it's not nearly as intimidating i can tell people here do you want to hold this millipede it can't bite or anything like they're very approachable compared with some other bugs like even something like you know a grasshopper people are reluctant to pick them up because you know they kind of jump they're just you can't really they'll do whatever they want but with millipedes they're generally not making these like big sudden movements or anything so they're good to sort of like have a nice introduction to bugs in this big old arthropod world we live in that's your gateway bug that's right (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that was like how they were for me you know like when i was a kid i really wouldn't like to mess around with bugs but i was totally fine with picking up roly polies and millipedes because Mm -hmm. you know what to expect from them right they're not gonna exactly jumping and flying at your face so it's a nice like way to have a little moment to connect with a bug and be like, yeah. this isn't so bad. This is actually kind of nice. It's a nice, simple connection to nature you can have and you don't have to worry about, you know, anything adverse happening to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hopefully you're not going to get poisoned. No. As long as you don't eat them, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. You'll be all right. I've heard of people getting like skin irritation. Yeah. So there are some, particularly in the tropics, some of these large um, cylindrical millipedes, they have some chemical defenses that can cause some like contact chemical burns, especially if it's on like your inner arm or like some soft skin. So you do have to like know a little bit about your local species. But typically, if you're in a temperate region of the world, you don't have to worry about them. Though even with our giant American millipede, I've had people tell me that, you know, they accidentally like sat on one or something and that kind of burned. So like the inside of their thigh or something. And I could see that because that's pretty soft skin. And if you're like sitting on it and just having all of that chemical just like touch your skin, then yeah, that could cause that. Typically what's going to happen is like you'll be holding one in your hand. If it releases any chemical defenses, it'll stain your hand, which is actually kind of cool because in the first like five or 10 minutes, it's a um, really bright neon yellow stain like almost like looks like a highlighter and it smells almost like tangy i guess and then after a little while it fades to like an iodine purple brown so people ask you oh did you bruise your hand somehow it's like no nah, man i was just uh 
grabbing some millipedes, you know, you know how my weekends are. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when you're like a teenager and you come home from the like clubs with X's on your hands and stuff, but instead it's these millipedes all over your hands. Yeah. And it'll, that stain will like stay for like a week because it's within your skin and just, it doesn't hurt you or anything. It just takes a while for your body to like break it down. So proceed with caution when you're, uh, yeah gonna be playing with millipedes be gentle and you'll probably be okay and be nice because they're doing so much for your ecosystem like they're so good and healthy for the nature in your area like be cool to them so that they can be cool to your world yeah there's no need to be mean no we can be buddies we can be friends yeah Miller friends. even if touch is not their love language (laughs) we can still love them from afar you can stay a safe distance away and just kind of like coo at them like oh here's a pretty millipede Words of affection. That's right. (laughs) You can communicate your love to them with words of praise. Affirmation. You're eating those leaves so well. This is amazing. You're doing so good. (laughs) You eat those leaves, girl. (laughs) Here, have some extra lettuce. (laughs) Drop a little apple slice down there for your food friend. (laughs) I I had a friend. um, Well, I still have this friend. And he, I don't know if he still does, but he used to raise millipedes to like sell to people as pets. And so he would just straight up like drop a whole head of lettuce in there, like this huge like fish tank enclosure. And then also like give them some apple slices and they loved it. Can we please for a moment talk about the McElroy millipede? Yeah. Just before we sign off. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> we um, got it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have been involved with the naming of some millipede species. Mm-hmm. And one of them you named after personal heroes of mine and Christians, uh, the McElroy family. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So for the past few years, um, me and my colleagues have been studying a group of millipedes called the Twisted Claw Millipedes. The males have these weird twisted claws on them. They're super cool. And they're only about maybe an inch and an inch and a half long or so, typically black with little stripes on the sides that are either white or red. And they're pretty diverse. Before we started this project, there were about 23 or so described species, but we kept finding more and more. And there have been known undescribed species in museum collections for decades, but no one had been able to really sit down and hash them out. So we did a big collecting project throughout Eastern North America. Well, all within the U.S., but the genus goes from Southern Canada, West to like Arkansas, and then East to the Atlantic coast. So they have a pretty big wide range. So we found about like 50 new species to describe. So we've been working our way through those. And this past year, we published the McElroy millipede. And so this was a species we collected near Huntington, West Virginia. And on all these trips, we'd been listening to like the Adventure Zone and my brother, my brother and me, because we would be on the road for hours and we needed like something to get us through and keep us like awake and not wanting to like bang our skulls against the car door. And so by the time we were collecting in the Huntington area, it's like, you know, we know they're from Huntington and we found this new species. So we're like, we got to name it after them for all these like hours of like entertainment and helping us stay awake throughout everything. So it just worked out really well. And I think um, Justin actually did a little series and he filmed some of that at the place where we actually had gotten that new millipede. And wow. So, yeah. What a convergence. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, these are just millipedes living like in deciduous forests under leaves. They like to be around like streams and stuff. And the day that we had gotten that, we were out night collecting and just found like maybe five or six of them. So we were just super excited and we're like, oh, it's a new species. We've got to name it after the McElroys. So it was it was just fun. And, and, you know, we contacted them about it and they were stoked. So that was cool to see. For sure. Yeah, we're, we're big fans of the McElroy content as well. You can find all that stuff over along with us, this show uh, on the Maximum Fun Network over at MaximumFun.org. So before we uh, hop off for today, I want you to kind of let folks at home know where they can find you and your work, projects you're working on, things you want people to know about, things you've got coming up, all sorts of stuff like that. Just take it away. Sure. So uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm just at Derek Hannon. And so it's my personal account. But I also keep a Millipede and Myriapod focused account called at Dear Millipede. And so that's where it's pretty much, you know, all myriapods all the time. And so I'll tweet out various like photos of recent species I've collected or when there's like new papers describing new species coming out, I'll throw them up on there. 
Um, so it's your good uh, social media stop for your myriapods. I try to, you know, cultivate a good fan club around these creatures that need a little more appreciation online. I also recently worked with a colleague, Jeff Brown, and the Ohio Division of Wildlife, and we made a field guide to the millipedes of Ohio. And this is the really first and only uh, millipede field guide for anywhere in North America. And it's just based on photos. It has some identification information, and it features all of Ohio's millipede species and also has some information about centipedes and some phylons and portopods. So even if you're not in Ohio, I recommend you check that out. It is free online. You can download a PDF if you just Google like Ohio Millipede Field Guide. I'm sure you'll find it. It's part of a series of field guides that the Ohio Division of Wildlife puts out on a number of different groups. And all the field guides are amazing and beautiful. So I was really excited to be able to do this one. And, you know, if you're not in Ohio, it won't be super applicable down to the species level, but it should help you get to like order, family, and maybe genus. And really my aim for that was to just have this good introduction to millipedes that I wish I had had when I was first getting started because so much information is just locked up in the primary literature that it's kind of hard when you're just getting started to orient yourself around all the diversity of millipedes. So I hope that's helpful for people and I hope you all check it out because I'm real proud of it. Oh, that's awesome. That's so exciting and cool. I hope that anybody that is listening that is maybe thinking, hmm, there might be something to this myriapod situation. This might be something I want to check out, Um, especially, you know, any younger folks that might be listening, thinking this is something they might want to get into studying or yeah. just a, a passion that they might be interested in cultivating. And it's totally free. So what do you have to lose? Exactly. There you go. It's not hurting anything. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Derek. It has been a complete delight to talk to you and learn about myriapods. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Of course I did too. And we will talk to you later. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something new about nature's little janitors. If you liked what you heard today, I would love it if you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or wherever you're getting this podcast. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord, so get in touch. We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows, just like the ones you heard promos for here today. You can check them out at MaximumFun.org, and you can take part in the fun with the Max Fun block party until October 22nd. I promised a sneak peek at next week's episode, so here it is. Next week on Just the Zoo of Us, we are getting spooky for Halloween. Christian will kick off our celebration with a festively colored little flying mammal, and I will be haunting your ears with a uniquely gothic bird who's pretty spooky where it counts. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our spectacular theme music, and that is all for today. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.